Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Um, I'm excited. Today I have my friend Brandy Anderson back, if you all remember. Uh, she was on a previous episode where she talked about her grandmother who had passed and how she communicated with her and kind of her uh, faith journey. Um, me and Brandy are good friends. We like to uh, talk a lot online and talk about theology and psychology and um, just the mysteries of, of the universe. So we have a lot of good good conversations, so I always appreciate her. Um, this episode is actually one that should have been like the first episode, uh, but just various things happened and um, didn't get to it. And so um, this episode is kind of about the title, Becoming Who We Are. And I've, I've kind of talked about this and teased about it in different episodes, but this will be uh, a little more in depth. Um, and, you know, I don't have everything figured out um, and I'm not a, a Bible scholar, anything like that. But this is kind of what I thought about, what I've talked about with people, what I've researched and just um, kind of where I'm at and what I think about things at the moment, um, you know, that could change. Uh, so don't have to be too dogmatic about it. But, um, yeah, this is about becoming who we are and about identity and stuff like that. So um, kind of how I um, came to a little bit different view of, of these topics um, from growing up and how I thought about it. Uh, growing up as a Christian um, kind of has to do with my awakening. Um, you know, my second episode, I talked about my awakening. Um, and so just a little bit of review um, in my awakening. I just came to this realization that God was in everything um, and that he was in everyone. And I really could see people um, with love and just appreciate who they were and where they were at and kind of understand that, you know, because of things that happened in their life, that that kind of, you know, gave them a perspective and some people, um, you know, had, had a perspective that I thought was more closer to the truth and um, or they just had done more healing or whatever. Um, and people that, you know, were still really hurt or whatever. I, I, I just felt like I could give them grace and um, not feel defensive that their views were not like mine, I guess. Um, and so um, in talking to people about my awakening, um, some people, um, some charismatic Christians were saying, oh, what you went through was baptism of the Holy Spirit by fire. Now, I didn't grow up with this language, and I was like, what does that mean? You know, we, we grow up, hey, you must be baptized in water. Um, but the Charismatics are like, there's another baptism, which is baptism of the Holy Spirit by fire, like in Acts, when the apostles um, were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and started doing miracles and stuff like that. Um and then later on, when I started doing my research about awakenings and, you know, they're called many different things, uh, Kundalini awakening or um, non-dual experience or spiritual emergence or psychic change. There's a lot of different language about it, but I was starting to see that, oh, all these things are um, generally the same thing or, or close to the same thing. And, and um, it's just different language about it. And so I, I it kind of helped me get past a, tribalistic view of, of awakening and Hey, maybe, um, you know, growing up a Christian, we're like, Oh, we're baptized. We're saved. 
um, salvation, that kind of view of salvation. But I was like, well, other people are having these experiences and they're living very loving lives and has have a lot of wisdom to share. Maybe it's not just Christians. Um, so, Brandy, I've spoken a little while. Um, is there um, – did you kind of go through a journey of understanding – uh, about baptism or being saved, salvation, and how you thought about it, a kind of evolution of that? Uh, yeah. So um, I had like a spiritual awakening in 2014 that uh, compelled me to seek out deep truth in a spiritual sense. And ultimately, I found mainstream religious answers to life's most important questions less than satisfying. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, as I, as I kind of I would say it's more of an evolutionary process for me. It wasn't a sudden, you know, realization of everything at once. It was like I had this awakening, this experience that kind of just uh, set in motion, like the gradual awakening that was to come. And yeah, so from within that space I have, I have, um, you know, thought a lot about the baptism aspect of Christianity. Um, there's so much emphasis on it, and especially in evangelical you know, traditions. Um, but there are a number of baptisms in Scripture, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of Moses, the baptism of John, and then the baptism of Jesus. So I feel like it's it's just like a lot of different um, thoughts swirling around because baptism just means immersion. So, um, you know, not necessarily or specifically in water. So what, what do you mean by the baptism of Moses? Yeah, that would be like an immersion into the law is the way I, I take that. Oh. The reference to the baptism of Moses in Scripture um, is what I would consider to be like an immersion into the law. Mm. Yeah, and the okay. baptism of John was an immersion in water, you know, and mm -hmm. John even said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful is coming after me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a distinction between these different types of baptism. Mm -hmm. Would you say, I'm just, just came to mind, kind of the anointing of oil that's done a lot in the Old Testament. Would that be a type of baptism or immersion? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know that if it's ever referred to as a baptism. Um, I would see that more as just a symbolic representation of um you know, of anointing, you know, like the word uh, anointed mm -hmm. is just chosen. And so right. uh, to anoint with oil is like a, an outward expression of an inward reality, uh, which is that you are chosen for a particular purpose. So I don't mm -hmm. know, maybe, I mean, perhaps you could see that as being bad, baptized into a certain um, path. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Mm -hmm. So do you think that um, water baptism, is that, an, an ontological thing or is that kind of a symbolic expression of something that's already true if that makes sense yeah uh yeah i don't i don't think that water baptism is ontological I, you know i believe mm -hmm. that it's just an outward expression uh of an inward reality um a symbol is symbolic of mm -hmm. an experience um or or an inner encounter mm-hmm yeah, that's I, I think that's kind of my shift in understanding baptism because thinking about like, oh, the Holy Spirit is something that is outside of ourself and then it, it comes inside of us. But um, 
the way Christians talk about things, they're like, you can't have wisdom or understanding or um, without the Holy Spirit. And so it's like, how do we, how do we even come to God or, or, or wisdom or truth, or even you say like scientific discoveries or, or all kinds of things without the Holy Spirit. And, and we see that people that, you know, aren't, you know, labeled Christians that they have these aspects. And so I'm um, just like, and, and I always think thinking too, like the spirit, how could that be outside of ourselves and then come inside of ourselves? So to me, as I started to think about it, that, that, that started to change in, in, from an ontological thing to me to more symbolic thing. Like, Oh, it's more of a, an awareness that the spirit is inside and, and, coming to a better relationship with that, a more fuller um, listening to and living through the spirit, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I, you know, um, if it were ontological, I believe that it would, you know, be more of or expressed more as a requirement. And you do see water baptism as, as an afterthought, um, you know, so to speak, uh, people have this experience, this encounter, they're transformed. And then the next step after that is the baptism. But you see that, you know, in Scripture, Paul says um, that he didn't come to baptize, but to preach the go- mm. gospel. And so I think if, you know, if baptism were a requirement or if there were an ontological shift, I mean, you know, you would see Paul baptizing everyone that he that he encountered. Um yeah, and the thief on the cross is another example of an awakening into Christ consciousness without water mm. baptism. Right, right. Yes, uh, Christ consciousness. We'll we'll get to that shortly. <laughs> um, uh, maybe you don't know the answer. I, I'm not sure. I do for sure. Do you know kind of where uh, John the Baptist, him baptizing people, where that came from? Because I know researching. I know the Essenes, uh, a sect of Judaism, they were big into that, but I'm not sure, like, where did that come from or, or why did why did that come about, I guess? Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, like you, I have um, read that the Essenes, you know, were into baptism. Um, I think maybe in the culture around John the Baptist, um, in that time frame, I think people often were baptized when they would convert from one religion to another. I have read that. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. like an outward symbol of an inner reality. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not sure exactly where it originated. Mm-hmm. To me, it kind of seemed like, um, you know, in the Old Testament, it's like, oh, to enter the Holy of Holies, you know, to become in the presence of God, you must become pure. And you must cleanse yourself. And so there was kind of that baptism element to it. Um, and to me, it's kind of a, a remnant of that idea in the Old Testament. Must We must become this pure, clean vessel. Um, and of course, I, I wouldn't disagree that that um, sin and, and ego and these different things kind of trip us up and hinder us from hearing the, the, the spirit clearly, but I don't think that, you know, we're going to, uh, like in the Holy Holies, if, if you're not pure, you're going to die or that you have to be totally pure before you can hear the spirit or have a relationship with God, be in the presence of God. Um, and so to me that baptism was like, you don't need, have to get baptized to have this relationship with the spirit, but 
it helps people symbolically um, get closer to the spirit, even though it, it may not be necessary. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, it's like a prophetic act, you know, it's, it's taking an outward action in your body. I mean, something, you know, inwardly has happened. And then so you you take part in this outward ritual, this expression through action to sort of solidify, you know, it's like a, a bringing together, I think, you know, like spirit, soul and body, you know, like mm-hmm. all three components, you know, into one. Just, um, yeah, just just kind of reinforcing externally what has happened internally or bringing those two mm-hmm. things together perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So around this time of me starting to think about these things differently, um, Richard Rohr just came out with his book, the universal Christ. And I'd read his everything belongs book. And I was like, this is really good. And I was like, I feel like he's getting at something, but he's not fully expressing it. And then I saw that book and I was like, Oh, I wonder if he's going to, say what I've been kind of thinking and I wonder how he's going to explain it, frame it, under, help us understand what's going on. And I read it. I'm like, Oh yes, it's exactly what it was. So that really was helpful to, to me. So it's been a while since I read it, but in the book, he talks about Christ consciousness. He talks about Christ being um, not Jesus's last name, but, but a title or um, a way of being that Jesus fully lived in Christ consciousness and that, um, you know, John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and that Jesus spoke the word and creation and um, that the word can be known within creation. That's kind of that um, Catholic, that Franciscan, they're very um, nature oriented, tied to nature and, and seeing God in nature and so what I think he was saying is that, um, you know, the fruits of the spirit, the way of living like Jesus um, could actually be known even before Jesus through um, through nature and, and not just like nature is in like the grass and trees, but also just like your experience of life and how the spirit can teach you things and help you live better and your, your consciousness, conscience um, in life. And, and so Jesus definitely came to help us see that more clearly and see an example of how to live that in, in, in a human being. But, um, it was evident from the beginning. And so this is kind of this, um, universal, universal Christ, universal language that, um, that it's not, um, just Jesus who, um, shows us the way, but but it's everything within the cosmos. Um, I know you've read the book. Is, is there? How would you frame it? Yeah. So, well, it's been a while since I've read that book, also, but it's uh, definitely, I think, the pinnacle of Roar's work. Um, and I, I heard him say, or either maybe I read it, but uh, Roar would articulate it this way: that um, Jesus is the manifestation of God in human flesh. Mm-hmm. But the Christ is the manifestation of God in all creation. Mm. It's kind of like that distinction. It's the, the Christ is, the, is, is continually creating. Um, yeah, the word at the beginning, you know, um, was the Christ going forth and giving life to all of creation. 
So yeah, you know, it's it's like seeing seeing Christ in everything. And then and to take it back to what we were just talking about with baptism, you know, Peter said, "Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ." And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and repent. He he begins his statement with repent, and that word metanoia in Greek literally means to go beyond the mind. So. Mm-hmm. Anyone who experiences an expansion of consciousness, that is to say anyone who repents, is immersed or baptized into the ultimate reality of the Christ. Mm. And then the Holy Spirit is then able to freely flow through such a person. It's not that the Spirit wasn't already there. It's that the person is Mm -hmm. not resisting. They're open to the flow of Spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that um, kind of a a thought I I forgot to say about like baptism is – you know, I think that um, obviously when someone's like, hey, I'm ready to be baptized. And you know, we always talk about like, hey, when is someone old enough to be baptized to really understand it? And it's like, well, maybe never <laughs> because it's like we're always understanding more and more, but there's always more to understand. Um, and, and, you know, there's obviously the Christianity in a cultural context when it, where it's very popular, like, Oh, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be baptized. And so, um, you know, people are at various levels of understanding and, and reasons why they do it. And what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily see people really change after being baptized. And, and I definitely think that it can, it can be helpful, but it's, it's not going to automatically change you, do something to you. It's a symbolic thing. And so um, to me, whenever someone um, has an awakening, that's something that's uh, it's like, oh, something very powerful and something very physical, ontological happened. Um, but it, again, I think that, you know, um, some people never, never have maybe that kind of powerful one-time awakening experience in I think that a lot of people can have a, a gradual awakening um, throughout life. And so I, I, I will be hesitant to be like, oh, have you had this powerful awakening experience? That's not a, um, you know, that that's not the only way to, to go about it. But um, again, it, it's kind of about living, living by the spirit and the fruits and that'll kind of, um, show where someone's at rather than be like, Oh, have you been baptized or not? It's like, well, how, how are you living through the spirit? That's more of an indication of where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. You articulated that perfectly. I mean, I've seen people in churches, you know, get baptized multiple times. Mm, Right. Like like looking for it. When is it going to do, when is it going to do what (laughs) I want it to do? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it didn't take the first time. I'm going to try this again. So, right. Yeah. But you know, like you said, it is an inner transformation and inner shift and it doesn't have to be like a lightning bolt, sudden, you know, Mm -hmm. complete transformation at once. Often it isn't, but still it is powerful and it is an inner shift. And, um, you know, it, and, and it'll be reflected in our outward actions, too. Um, mm-hmm. That's another thing. You could get dunked under water as many times as you want to and not be changed interiorly. But the same could be right. true for any ritual or any, like just going to church or participating in church activities or participating in the Mass. Um, all of those things, um, in and of themselves, they have no transformative power. Yeah, they're just right. out, you know, outward expressions. 
Mm-hmm. And even, I guess, uh, kind of awakening or being baptized in the, in the spirit, um, even if even those experiences that are very powerful physically and whatever, uh, people don't necessarily always integrate that experience and then live that out as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and so to me, um, going back to Genesis, um, you know, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, created man. He breathed his spirit into man. Um, he formed him from the mud and, uh, that word, um, Numa is, I think how you, you say it. Um, and God breathed his, 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 um, spirit and breath into, into man. And so, um, and also when, when God created everything after every day, he said, and this is good. And so I think, uh, you know, within Christianity, there's this, um, thought of original sin. We're born, um, sinful and, um, you know, obviously there is sin, but, I think before sin, what we forget is that there was original goodness before there was um, sin. And so to me, original sin isn't, I don't really like that phrasing. I, I think that there's sin, we have to acknowledge that, but our true essence is is goodness, is um, God's spirit within us. I know in Christianity, we say uh, we all are made in the image of God, but I think where they make a distinction is, is they think that, God's spirit and our spirit is somehow separate or different. But to me, without God's spirit within creation, whether that's humans or the universe, there would be no life. There would be nothing. There wouldn't be um, life and uh, or like, um, you know, nature and how it, it regenerates and 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 goes on living. It's, it's, it's a miracles. We learn the science of the earth and how um, things operate and how um, fragile things are and, and how everything has to be this perfect way for it to, for life to be existent. I'm, uh, to me, that's God's spirit within all things. Um, yeah. How, how do you understand that? Yeah, I would totally, <laughs> totally agree. Um, the doctrine of original sin begins with the premise that our true essence is corrupt. Um, therefore warning us that we should never trust ourselves. And so when we believe that we must be divorced from ourselves in order to please God, we inevitably spiral into fragmented way of operating in the world. Um, the doctrine of original sin binds people up in transactional thinking, um, shrouding the restorative nature of God. So placing such a, a, a primary emphasis on sin is oppressive and it, it prevents people from experiencing genuine liberation. Uh, from experiencing the spirit that is already within them, like you said, you would cease to exist, you know, if, if it were otherwise. But humans are not in, inherent, or, well, humans are inherently good, not wicked. Um, we do not have a simple nature. We have a human nature that participates in sin. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just because we have the capacity to sin doesn't mean that we're born defective. Um, sin is always mm-hmm. a choice, but it is not our identity. Um, right. Yeah. So to view, and also I, I wanted, I want to also say that to view humanity as inherently good does not negate the, the effects of sin either. Mm-hmm. Sin is destructive and it always leads to suffering. But uh, when we see people as inherently sinful, we rob them of their divine essence. Um, it's impossible mm-hmm. for people to reach their full potential as God's image bearers while simultaneously harboring uh, a deprecating view of themselves and others. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well said. That's so so good. 
Um, I think Romans eight really helped me. Um, forgot to write that in the notes, but uh, just Paul talking about we're no longer um, slaves and we're no longer on this the sin view ourselves from the sin nature, sin nature, but uh, perfect perfected in Christ. And we still have that, um, that, that sin nature trying to hold us down or pull us back, but that's no longer how we identify ourselves. And I think Christians are, they're always saying, Oh, we're sinners. We're this, we're this, we're that. And they're still viewing themselves from the old paradigm. Um, and I think that, I think there's, they're trying to be like humble um, and also not, yeah, not get prideful and not let uh, just be like, oh, we don't have sin. So I appreciate them trying to acknowledge that that's still a reality that's a part of us that's, that's trying to pull us back. But, but I think it is harmful when we view ourselves from that identity. Um, and that's who we truly are at the core. Like you said, we're not trusting in ourselves and our intuition and that the Holy spirit is inside of us guiding us along the way. And I think that's when people um, can get more dogmatic about, um, Hey, we need to trust uh, or, or put our, our authority or put our um, faith and trust in say like the Catholics, the, the church and, and the church uh, hierarchy and then the Protestants in the, in the Bible is inerrant and, um, really what we're doing is we're just other people's interpretations of things and them actually trusting themselves and what they say and then are telling other people to believe. And then they're saying, oh, this is this is the, the hierarchy of the church and what God is telling me, go do this. Or they're saying, oh, the Bible says this, but it's really their viewpoint. We can't really get away from our subjective lenses, no matter who it is. And so it's better to... Um, realize this and acknowledge we all have the subjective lens and, and then realize like, Hey, we all have, we all know ourselves and our, our inner world better than other people's or other people telling us what our inner journey is. And then our uh, understanding what the spirit is saying to us in our own life and our own specific context. And other people can't do that as well as we can do that for ourselves. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, um, Often also uh, in, in, in the Christian context, it, it is believed that you are, you know, desperately wicked, totally depraved, unless, unless you are a Christian, unless you have subscribed to a certain set of cognitive beliefs, you know, and then it's like you shift to you have received the Holy Spirit, but they don't see the Spirit as active and alive in, in every person. They don't, you know, so that's kind of the missing the missing component is to, to kind of see the world as um, divorced from or separate from God. And, um, you know, when we begin to view the world that way in a very dualistic uh, lens of us versus them and uh, just black and white thinking, we do, we, we, we do settle into fragmentation. And, um, you know, we're divorced from ourselves. Um, you know, and, and like you were saying, trust your intuition, you know, which is, that's God flowing through you. That is the mm-hmm. spirit. It's, uh, your inner essence, your true self, uh, the higher intelligence, um, that is the core of your identity. That is where your divine inspiration would come from your intuition. Um, you know, and that, that is where we should be guided from, but oftentimes in churches, you know, they, you know, the idea of trusting God is like trusting something external from yourself. 
And mm-hmm. sometimes we get twisted, you know, and, and to trust God is to trust your truest self, your highest self, which is mm-hmm. God flowing through you. But in church, it gets it gets distorted, you know, into some um, external uh, authority over your life. Right. I think that goes into um, kind of a lot of Christians think of um, uh, how I understand theism anyways. I could be could be wrong. It's kind of like God is up there in the word down here and God is, and then there's a spiritual realm and there's a physical realm. Um, whereas what war talks about in the universe of Christ is panentheism where God is above all things, but he's also within all things, um, which is kind of the realization I had in my awakening and that the spiritual and the physical are not separate. Um, like Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is here. Now it's also in the future and it's something we're, we're working towards melding, I guess the physical and the spiritual and, um, becoming into that Christ consciousness. Um, but, but he's also here. And so, um, God isn't separate and there isn't something we have to achieve to bring that together. It, it is, it is together. Um, and so, uh, that's a, that's a joyous thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's, it's beautiful to see. I, I feel like that view of theism kind of be like, okay, the Holy spirit and God can only work in these certain small ways, certain certain ways that we have designated, but this view of penentheism says that God, the spirit is working in so many different ways. He's very creative and wise in all the ways he can work and, and speak to people and help people. Um, whatever they identify as, as Christian or non-Christian or um, whatever. And, and the ways he's speaking to us, whether we recognize it or not. And um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it helps you become more aware of like, Oh, how is God speaking to me? What what is what's going on, and what can I learn? And I feel like it opens you up to hear God in so many different ways, and it's less limiting. Yeah, yeah, that really resonates. Um, you know, I've noticed it seems that you know it's like it's an evolu- evolutionary um, or a progression of realization or revelation about God. It's like to see God as separate, you know, out there, like you were describing that there's the spirit, spiritual realm, and then there's the physical realm, there's God, and there's us, and it's all very separate. And, um, and then, you know, even within Christian context, I see people kind of shift from that view into a God is within, I mean, you know, um, but it's more of a God is within me, like an appendix, <laughs> like God is within, but still separate. You know, it's it's a very mm-hmm. be careful how we. You know, they would they would if you if you asked, is God within? They would say yes, but also unequivocally, God is separate and superior and out there. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a both and uh, situation. Right. But then mm-hmm. the next step, the next part in that kind of evolutionary progression of realization, I would say, would be to see God as within all of creation as the ground of your very being. Yet, you know, um, superior in the sense that are greater than, more expansive than, in the Mm -hmm. sense that everything is contained in God, for in Him Mm -hmm. we live and move and have our being, but also very much not separate at all, ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think um, a lot of times when people hear, or a lot of, when, when Christians hear other people talk about like, Oh, we're, we're a part of God or we are. Yeah. And I definitely think that people, the length, it's just language. It's hard to make sense of, but there's like, Oh, you, you are God. Like that's, that's not right. And you know, they get very defensive very fast, but it's like, 
know we're, we're, we're a part of God and that's our true essence. But again, we have still have our sin nature and we're not the totality of God. <laughs> we're not God. Just It's just me that's God and you're not God. You know, It's not that dualistic way of thinking. And so I think that when you can slow down a little bit and really try to hear what people are saying, then it becomes more evident that you're maybe not so different in what what you're what you're saying. It's just the language is is difficult to to make sense of. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think it you know it, it boils down to also there are certain um, turns of phrases within every tradition, but within Christianity, people use certain words. There's a certain it's Christianese, if you will. You know, people say mm-hmm. certain things in a certain kind of way and. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of parse out what does that exactly mean, you know, in the big picture. And it could mean something different for each person. We could all be using the same language and, and, you know, and apply different meanings to it. So I think it's important to have these discussions and kind of break this stuff down because you could say the words, you know, God is within, you know, but do you have an experience of that? Is that your mm-hmm. reality? Because if it isn't, mm-hmm. No, it's just words. It's just semantics, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, there's some different uh, angles I like to hear other people, how they talk about it. Um, now, Rumi is one of my favorite uh, poets. It says, you're not a drop in the ocean, but the ocean in a drop. And so what I think he's saying is that we're all parts of the body of God, and God is love. And, and love is a verb. It's not a noun. So as we awaken to God and love inside of us, it continues to change and grow us. Um, and then there's Carl Jung, um, as we were both big fans of. And I like how he kind of breaks down identity and talks about the conscious, which we're aware of, um, about ourselves internally. And there's the unconscious, what we're not aware of internally. And they also believed in the collective unconscious, which is, kind of a shared truth of the universe that is unknown or uh, has to be awakened um, between humanity. Um, And so as we continue to awaken, we become aware of the truths that seem to transcend uh, culture, race, religion, individuals. Um, And so uh, you can start to draw parallels between these seemingly different things and find a oneness within the universe that brings us together and heals us rather than separates and harms us. Yeah. I don't know if you had anything to add there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that, um, I think, you know, I love you, uh, you know that. Um, mm-hmm. and I believe that the psycho spiritual approach is really, uh, the only path forward, you know, into, into wholeness, both individually and collectively. Um, yeah, and, uh, we can definitely see the collective unconscious in the world around us, you know, and play in the systems that are, you know, that are driving the world, especially, you know, all the corruption and all the systems, but ultimately mm-hmm. it, it, the individual it's, we can only control us, you know, like we have control over, uh, our own individuation process. So, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, that shadow work is important, you know, um, bringing the light of our awareness into our unconscious, into those patterns and those propensities that contribute to all of the, you know, the evils in the world. And, um, 
And it's like a ripple that'll just, you know, go out into the world. And ultimately, the collective unconscious or the collective consciousness will shift, which I believe, mm -hmm. is, you know, it's kind of where we're heading with this conversation, but into the Christ consciousness or the new heaven, new earth, uh, or the idea mm -hmm. of a, a, you know, ultimate reconciliation or, um, yeah. So I definitely see that, that Jung was ahead of his time. He had, uh, you know, he kind of had insight, I'd say like a prophetic view into Mm. Um, you know, the state of affairs and, and where, where things are kind of headed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think, you know, young and uh, Jung and um, psychology in general, I really love because I think that helps you um, reframe sin um, in a way that I think has been hijacked. Um, it helps, helps um, reframe that in a better way of, uh, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think a lot of times when people, um, when they're sinning, they're, they're trying to protect themselves or, um, I think like, like desires and, and everything has, um, you know, is originally good, um, is, uh, so we all have that within us, but it's just become, becomes corrupted or, or people are ignorant, you know, and, um, they don't know how to go about these things the right way or, um, yeah. And, and so instead of seeing people, it's like, oh, these people are good and these people are evil. It's like we're we're all on the spectrum and we're all and, and then it's just about like ignorance and and, and understanding and, and coming to better understanding and living from that heart space um, and restoring all things. And so um, I, I think that helps with not seeing sin in such a dualistic manner, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I would say that sin is not so much the bad things we do. It's just a false perception of separation. Um, and from that false view of separateness flow all manner of sin, if you will, or a wrong action. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the heart of the issue, it's just really that we have become we, we have begun to see ourselves as separate from God and others. And, you know, it's like a self-preservation, like you said, um, you know, it was in, in order to get our needs met, to feel safe and secure. Um, yeah, that we're just, uh, you're, we're fragmented. That's the problem. And so Jung really uh, gives us a map back into our true self, our, our essence, uh, where we see ourselves as, uh, as one with God and others. And it's, you know, and it's also, it's a balancing of that tension of opposites that's within all of us. You know, we don't yeah. eradicate the darkness. We reconcile the darkness with the light, which I think Christianity really misses the mark with that. I mean, you know, all and most of most Christianity really is just the false self dressed in drag. You know, it's, it's people, <laughs> you know, pressing into the light and uh, mm. repressing the darkness, you know, leaning into the good and let's not, Let's not even look at the, you know, at the dark, but uh, we right. have to reconcile those things. We can't live fragmented. That's our problem in the first place. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so I think you really I, does a good job of giving us a map back into our, our wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, Christians, you know, they're kind of you, oh, Christians, we have the good and <laughs> non-Christians have the bad. And so I think that leads to blindness and this false pretense of, you know, we're all totally good. And, and so, um, then we're repressing our own faults and our own shadow inside of us. And so we become 
blind to it. We keep it in the unconscious. And um, that's, I think we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, in evangelical circles, a, a lot of these scandals um, because there's been so much um, pretense and, and it's like, oh, these, this authority, they've got the truth and they're supposed to be this amazing person. And um, there's no like accountability and there's like cover ups and stuff like that instead of, um, yeah, this less dualistic perspective that, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree. It's uh, a big persona, you know, out there looking religious and, you know, and ultimately that, that it always gives way into destruction, you know, Mm -hmm. either from the ego or the false self, the persona, however, whatever language you would like to, to use to describe that anytime we're living from that place, whether it be for good or for, you know, evil purposes, most people use it for good. You know, um, in a religious context, people are attempting to do good, be good, bring good into the world. But like I said, they're pressing so far into the light, um, you know, that they've divorced the darkness in a way that it becomes truly satanic. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how we that's how evil, you know, manifests. So, yeah, I would echo what you said totally. Yeah, I found a couple of good verses that... Um help me understand this, the spirit. Um, and, uh, it says in the last days, the spirit will be poured out among all people in Acts two seventeen, And then there was another, um, part, uh, in Mark, this man was, um, casting out demons in Jesus name. And Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a miracle. My name can in the next moment say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. Cause the disciples were like, Oh, he's not, he's not with us. So we stop him. Um, and then it also says, you shall know them by their fruits. And so, uh, I just think there's a lot. Christians have this very, um, hard line between uh, Christians and non-Christians basically again, like, like we're saying. So I, I don't think it's, it's so much like that, uh, as, as people think. Um, and I think that the mystics, um, they really understood that and really got that is, uh, it's more of an inner experience of God and that that comes in all shapes and sizes into to many people and, uh, and living that out, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. I know uh, we were, and, and, and pretty much this whole talk kind of is, 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 is dancing around this, but we were talking the other day about the Trinity and, and how we understood that. And um, how would you, how would you describe that? Or how do you understand that maybe different than, what Christianity, the language Christianity uses. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think it's a mystery. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you can kind of ponder and, you know, and think about, but ultimately I don't think we could ever fully understand the reality and mm-hmm. the magnitude of it. Um, but like in, in, um, in John 14, Jesus calls the Holy spirit, the spirit of truth that abides in us. And so the spirit of God that is perpetually creative or animating all of life, sustaining us, prompting us uh, into our highest life path. Uh, you know, I see it as a, a current flowing beneath the surface of all creation, kind of urging us toward wholeness or fullness of life. Um, and I can't remember who said it, but I heard someone once say that the Holy Spirit is the relationship between the father and the son. And I like that. I think, you know, it really taps into something uh, deeply mystical. Uh, mm-hmm. While most people view the Trinity as something separate and external from themselves, 
like a triune yes. relationship between God out there, the person of Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. But mm. I tend to see it as a triune relationship within all of reality. Mm. So I see God, the Father, as not out there, but within, the very ground of all being, or sort. And I see God, the Son, not as limited to the person of Jesus of Nazareth, but as a, an incarnation of God into humanity, or the God essence within all people. Mm. And the Spirit is the relationship between kind of a divine breath, animating, inspiring, and creating within all of it. So rather than viewing the Trinity as something out there happening apart from me, I view it as something that I'm caught up in because I exist. Yeah. Wow. That was beautiful. Um, I don't know if I can do any better, but you know, I'll try my own language. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like, I really like that of God, the father. Um, but it's not just the father. It's God, God, the mother, God, the father, you know, it, it, he's not a, he's not human. He's not a physical being. So he's not male or female. He's, um, and is he, is he created male and female? He's, um, everything in creation is, comes from God. So he's got the masculine and the feminine aspects within him. Um, and he's not, he, he's the ground of all being. And so he's not a being in himself. Um, and so he is flowing. It's like the universe is the body of, of God. And so we're all a part of that and living inside of that. And so his spirit is flowing in all things and also within us. And so, um, it's like we all have the Holy Spirit and Jesus recognized and lived that fully. Um, but he was a human just like us. And we can also follow in his footsteps and um, not just be like Jesus uh, was, was, was different and, and separate from us. You know, it's like he was the true embodiment of um, the li living in human flesh living in the spirit, but, but we can also do that. And so, um, don't limit yourself in, in what you can do and, and, and how you can live and who you can be. Um, yeah, that's how, that's how I would uh, phrase it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's beautiful. Um, it was Roar. Richard Roar refers to the Trinity as a divine dance. It's the name of mm. his book actually. And I think it's right. a beautiful way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, Oh, okay. So I wanted to ask you, um, and you know, it, it, there's the, the great commission and Jesus said, go out into all nations and, uh, baptize people in the name of the father, spirit and the Holy or father, son, and Holy spirit. How, how do you think, what do you think about that? What do you think that meant? Yeah. Did you um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it seems to me that, you know, baptism into the spirit is like a baptism into uh, the reality of, of God is kind of how I would, uh, would frame that. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's, um, well, like I said before, you know, John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is more powerful mm -hmm. coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's like John immersed people in water, which was a symbol, mm -hmm. of, you know, a symbol of, of repentance. But Jesus immerses people in the transforming fire of the Spirit. It's more transformational. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more of an inward uh, phenomena. It's um, I would understand mm -hmm. the baptism of the Spirit to be an immersion into the Spirit that is continually flowing in creative and restorative ways. 
Mm -hmm. So it's not that, um, like, well, here's one way to frame it. In Christian circles, it almost seems like baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that happens, like something that's external that comes onto you or into you. Like you receive, Mm -hmm. in a way, um, something that's external. But I see it more as an awakening into something that's already been there. You know, it's it's Mm -hmm. already available. It's already there. It's just that, like, the scales fall from the eyes and you're able to see with clarity. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The, the you know the spirit that is always available mm-hmm. i think so much in christianity we're like okay we're gonna go send missionaries out to people and we're gonna save them from hell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're gonna become christians they're gonna get baptized and then then we're good but it, it it's really interesting in my my history class i took in grad school my global christianity and even the discussions about like so people you know uh, the, these people we go to in their language they have these um phrases or for like God or like the, the deity or whatever. And it's like um, the word for sun, like, like the, the sun in the sky. Do we change that? Do we keep it the same? Do we say, Oh no, it's a different God than that. Or that God is not real. Or we just say, no, actually, or, or do we say, keep that word and be like, okay, so, so that's true, but it's actually uh, God is more like this. Um, so it's just really interesting about like, do we totally change things? Do we integrate or whatever? And so uh, to me, it's like people, um, they already have these, these concepts and these understandings to, to a certain degree. Um, and so it's not about, again, that dualistic thinking of like, oh, we got all the truth and they have none of the truth. So let's go in and change everything. It's like, let's go find the essence of truth and things and, and help people find it. But also, you know what? Those people might have some things to to teach us and share us. So it's it's not um, kind of that comparative like we've got it, you don't. Let's and, and so uh, I just think it's a lot better way of understanding it. Yeah, I totally agree. I um, you know I would say that you know God meets us where we are, and so perhaps mm-hmm. we could meet people where they are also because we are all in flux. You know, everything is fluid and everything is continually evolving and changing. Uh, the things that, you know, that you and I believe today will likely be shifted, you know, our perspective shifted, you know, you know, five years from now, a year from now, even maybe a month. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, when you when you begin to see that uh, we all have some truth to impart uh, and we're all just, you know, perceiving things through our particular lenses uh, mm-hmm. and, and trying to make sense of, of everything, no one has it all figured out. And so, yeah, I think it's important that when we, you know, share our faith, you know, with other people, that we don't do it in a dogmatic, dualistic, you know, context. You know, that Mm -hmm. we actually seek to love people, you know, to connect with people first and Mm -hmm. foremost. And then from that Mm -hmm. place of connection, you know, perhaps if what we have is appealing and helpful (laughs) to the other person, they might be interested in, in our faith, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, shoving our beliefs, cognitive beliefs down someone's throat, you know, and using fear, um, tactics kind of, you know, believe what I believe or you will burn in hell mm-hmm. for eternity. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind and, and I don't think it's mm-hmm. effective. Um, mm-hmm. anything, it's harmful. Mm-hmm. Right. And people can sense that, you know, when, when you're like, you know, I think Christian, a lot of Christians, they have, they have the right, the heart, they want to help people and they want to, you know, and they're, they're worried for them. But 
but they are coming from a place of fear and they're not really seeing the the image of God within someone. And they're just, they're, uh, they're seeing that person as a project or um, an object to save and not as a relationship of love. And then that just turns people off. And like you said, I think it's just uh, destructive and harmful. Um, yeah. So um, I think in all of this is like, why, why am I talking about all this? What is, what's the point? What's the practical takeaways? And so for me, it's instead of seeing things from a tribalistic perspective of, of separateness, um, it's more of a universal um, finding the truth and wisdom uh, beyond, beyond these dogmatic schisms and lines and um, theological perspectives and just finding that, that truth and love um, beyond that, 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 that is evident within creation. Um, and that's such a freeing thing um, and helps uh, open your mind up and you can read and listen and consider other people's perspectives from many different walks of life, um, many different faith traditions. And I think it opens you up to a lot more uh, wisdom and different life experiences. And um, again, that, that shadows within ourselves and in the ways we were blind that other people have lived different ways of life that can offer us something as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the way that salvation is framed um, in, in a lot of Christianity um, kind of, I don't know, I guess limits, um, maybe even prevent some people from coming into like a, a full awareness. I think mm-hmm. awakening is a good way to describe salvation or, or what genuine salvation really is. Um, mm-hmm. It really is something that sort of happens to us and not something that we accomplish. It's a shift mm-hmm. of perspective mm-hmm. that comes through experience, not cognition. Mm-hmm. So it's an unfolding, right. unfolding of consciousness or an expansion of mind that brings us into our higher self. And, uh, you know, like what's often referred to as the fall in Genesis is actually just the shifting consciousness. Um, it's a story, uh, uh, not of separation from God, but of shattered perceptions and awakening mm. is simply opening into the reality of our oneness, realizing that we indeed are not separate and have never been separate. Um, that the separation is just an illusion that keeps us bound up in propensities and complexities and these unconscious cycles are running our lives, not because we're cut off from God. If we were cut off from God, we would cease to exist, like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. But because we believe the lie that we're cut off from God. Mm-hmm. We, we don't recognize our oneness, and we wreak havoc because of it. Um, mm. Yeah, so, I, you know, salvation is often reduced to a cognitive decision. Like, we decide to follow Jesus. We pray a prayer, and we ask Jesus into our hearts. We make a decision. Um but genuine salvation is not dependent on us. Um, thank mm. be to God. You know, if we could lose mm-hmm. our salvation, we would. <laughs> but I, I've come to see it as, you know, as the universe or spirit drawing me into the ultimate reality of God in spite of me. It's not something I do, but something done unto me. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I must let go of all doing to fully realize and experience this divine flow. And so I mm-hmm. think when we, you know, approach other people from that perspective, it's a lot more inclusive and expansive and hopeful and it 
you know, it draws people in, you know, and, and it rather than repels people, you know, uh, the traditional mm-hmm. way that Christianity, you know, kind of converts people, you know, as an us versus them outsiders that are in need, you know, of something that we ultimately are exclusively possess. That's very off-putting, you know, and it, it's off-putting because it, it really flies in the face of ultimate reality. It's not true. Um, yeah, yes. Well put. Um, another thing I think that was really helpful for me in, in this takeaway is kind of um, I just grew up ha- with a lot of shame and fear and um, thinking I need to be a certain certain way for God. Um, but just realizing that, um, and we, we talked about this, that, that our, we have original goodness and that our true essence is good. And so that helps me have a better relationship with my body, my thoughts, my emotions. And of course, realizing that there are things, um, it helps me, yeah, approach my shadow more and have less shame about it. So then I can see it clearly and, um, uh, and work on healing that and correcting, um, but but I'm not fundamentally broken, and, and that's not my identity. So I don't have to attach to those um, wounds inside of me and get overwhelmed by them, and then get in a rut that I'm stuck in. Um, I feel like in this journey and these understandings that help me whenever I do um, go through some, um, you know, I, I I do something wrong or I do a misstep or, or hurt people, hurt myself, or or I uncover some wounds. Um, I can move the move through them so much more quickly, uh, not having so much shame about it and realizing it's just something that needs to be healed rather than it's who I am and I'm stuck like this. Um, and of course, there's a lot of external things, um, the Bible and other people and other books, um, but also that the spirit is, is within me and, um, and I, I can trust and know that it's there. And the more I heal and the more I see my shadow, the more I can differentiate between my ego and my spirit and know this is actually from the spirit. And over here, this is not from the spirit. Um, so if we're making an earnest effort to do the inner work, there need no, there need be no fear, anger, shame towards ourselves. Um, and if we fall, it's part of the learning and the awakening process. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Um, you know, I would say it's the difference between, you know, having an actual inner transformation where you shift from or transit or transcend the dual consciousness um, and, and being actually continuing to be trapped in it. I think a lot of people maybe uh, have some sort of conversion experience um, within a religious context, but they remain trapped in the dualistic patterns. And Mm -hmm. dualism is all about, you know, good, it's comparative, you know, good versus Mm -hmm. in versus out. It's very comparative. Mm -hmm. We we divide the world up and compare ourselves to it. um, And either we find that we are superior and we feel really good and egotistical about that, or mm-hmm. we find that we are inferior in some ways and we drop into despair about it. So it's mm-hmm. like a constant flux of, you know, ups and downs, you know, and dividing and comparing. Whereas the non-dual awareness, which is, that's really what Jesus modeled. And that's what he's calling, you know, calling us into. And is often missed in Christianity from, from the non-dual awareness. We begin to see that 
all of those things that are maybe uh, unfavorable about ourselves and others, things that uh, maybe are unpleasant, they're not bad. They're just bogus. And so mm-hmm. when you, when you uh, frame it like that, you begin to see, you know, that these things really don't, I mean, they have power over you, but only to the degree that you uh, get tangled up in them. And so it allows people to kind of put space between their selves, their true selves, and then that ego that's kind of running the show and begin to see, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's just, it's just false and it's an illusion. And um, yeah, and you take the wind out of itself when you shine the light of your awareness on it. So that's, that's a paradigm shift that really sets people free and brings people into wholeness, um, you know, versus remaining trapped in a dualistic mindset and just putting religious garb on it. You know, you can, um, it doesn't really matter, um, you know, whether we're in a Christian context or we're atheist or Muslim, it really doesn't matter if you're dualistic, you know, you're dividing and comparing and you, mm-hmm. um, you're in an internal hell because of it regardless of your faith mm. tradition. So, yeah, to right. be set free, is, it requires that we transcend that dualistic thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I think you already um, alluded to this or said some things about it, but I really wanted to get into the the name of the podcast, Becoming Who We Are, and kind of how I see that and what, what that means. Um, and so I think it's it, – it, I had fun with it because it's, it's kind of a paradox because, like you said – I think it's it is um, a surrender uh, and an awakening to our true identity, and so it's like okay, I'm not. I grew up. I'm an athlete, or I'm a <laughs> I'm a nerd. I like to read. You know all these things, and, and it's like yeah, it's a part of me, but it, it's it's not my true essence, um, and um, or, or me in my faults and in my sin and and all my shortcomings. That's also not my true identity and my true essence. Um, my true essence is a part of the spirit of God and that love, joy, and peace. Um, and so it is a journey of becoming that, but it, and so we have to put effort and action into it, but it's also, we have to let go and surrender to that. And so it's kind of this, push and pull and effort and non-effort and surrender. Um, and it's, it's kind of a divine dance <laughs> mystery paradox. Um, and also who we are, isn't something like, it's not a noun, it's a verb. It, it's not something that, um, this just static, but it's, it's evolving, it's changing, it's growing, it's expanding. It's, it's kind of like, um, when people talk about like personality tests, like I love personality tests and some people really hate it. And I think why a lot of people hate it is because they're like, I don't want to be put in a box of this is who I am. And I, that's one reason we talked about Enneagram and why I love the Enneagram so much, because it's an understanding that we're not just stuck with this one personality. Um, we're evolving, we're changing. And the goal isn't to just be this one personality, but take on all the good characteristics of all the different numbers and personalities. And so um, translating that to becoming who we are, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm a part of who God is. And that, and who that could be is endless and who I could be is endless. And it, <laughs> I'm getting like chills. It's like amazing. And a lot of times I, I don't believe that, or I, I'm like, there's no way you know, I could do this or 
I could become this. But then I think about like five, 10 years ago, I couldn't imagine where I am today or what I've done today. And so it's just uh, an expansion of what could be possible. And it's just an, an amazing feeling. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, I would just say that, um, you know, our true self is a place we come from and it's not a place we're going to, although we are becoming who we are. Um, you know, and that, that idea of the tension or the, mm-hmm. you know, the push pull, you know, I see that as more of, you know, dropping into the ego, waking up, surrendering, dropping back into the ego. It's like a continual, it's not a one and done situation. It's, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely an ongoing, um, <laughs> journey. Um, right. and you know, as far as, you know, thinking of it in terms of surrender, we, you know, we make plans and we, you know, and we set goals and we, and we strive to achieve and often it's frustrating and it's difficult because all of that goal setting and, you know, achievement and success, it's like, it, it, it comes out of the ego. It's an egoic, mm-hmm. um, you know, desire, uh, mm-hmm. that we kind of throw out there. We, we throw it out there onto the fabric of reality and then expect it to, to pan out, you know, and of course mm-hmm. it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're frustrated in our efforts, um, because those efforts ultimately are illusions because they're egoic. And so mm-hmm. in reality, if we were to relax and settle back down into our true self, um, you know, we, we don't cease to be who we are. We just become who we are more fully, you know, mm-hmm. so that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Jesus was, uh, was fully human. But he was mm-hmm. the tension of opposites. He was the intersection of heaven and earth. He was fully human and mm-hmm. fully divine. Attention of opposites reconciled and balanced. And so that's what it looks like to be whole, to be free, uh, or to experience eternal life, which is just life to the full. It's, um, it's a matter of when you do take action and when you are out there doing the things, it's from a place of your true essence. And so in that space, it's really effortless. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. just like you're just floating with your your you're with the current, you know, you're flowing along mm-hmm. with the current. Um it's when we get caught up in our ego and we push against the current that we actually create suffering for ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think um so many people uh are so resistive to the inner work and psychology and stuff like that because they're like and awakening, you know, and we talk about, I've talked about awakening in the podcast and how that's an amazing experience, but it oftentimes the dark night of the soul follows. And it's very hard because your identity and your understanding of your identity is being, is shattered. And it's very, it's very immediate and it's very extreme. Um, and it's hard and it's scary because you're like, well, what, what is reality? Who, who am I? What is my identity? And we're not yet to the place of, of living more fully into who we are. And we're just like, we see the darkness, <laughs> but then there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And there's always underneath that darkness, there is the fruits of the spirit that love joy. And then we, be, we can, there is that empty space into um, changing our patterns, changing um, the neuroplasticity in our brain forming new pathways and more connection between things and living in a more full, um, true way. And then that's very rewarding and, um, healing in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dark night of the soul, 
you know, because it is particularly painful because we don't yet trust the mm-hmm. universe or right. the yeah. We don't actually have trust that every that 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 the universe is benevolent, uh, that God is good, that God, you know, um, is working everything for our good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We might have that cognitive belief, but we don't actually believe it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> have an experiential. Mm-hmm. It's not a right. reality, and so. Mm-hmm. But the paradox, <laughs> the counterintuitive truth and all that is that the shattering of all of those ego illusions, as painful as that is, is necessary mm-hmm. so that we can trust. You know, it is mm-hmm. a grace gift. All of it is grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had mm-hmm. someone recently ask me, um, I forget exactly what we were talking about, but it was something about, you know, being accountable, you know, and causing mm-hmm. suffering that, you know, like the very real consequences of our actions and um like or karmic cycles if you will mm-hmm. and they said what about grace and i'm like but it is grace like all <laughs> of that is grace it's it's mm-hmm. god not letting you uh remain in those fragmented mm-hmm. states it's a matter of mm-hmm. stripping away all of that illusion as painful as it is because it's bogus mm-hmm. and uh yeah and at the at the bottom of all of that when everything has been stripped away and laid bare and you see with the full light of clarity you know then you are free you know, then you're able mm-hmm. to uh, live with ease. You are able to trust. And so mm-hmm. it really is. It's a process that is painful, but it's necessary and it's done unto us. There again, it's not something that we can orchestrate. In fact, if we mm-hmm. get involved, we slow the process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our egos take over and decide, you know, how things should be, you know, or mm-hmm. we want things to go like this or, you know, we're going to take this next step. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, it's it's really the people who get bowled over by God, just completely, you know, their lives just turn completely upside down. It's those people uh, who are able mm-hmm. to just drop into that kind of trust um, mm-hmm. where they can rest. It's a peace that does surpass mm-hmm. all understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. it, and and like I've heard, I've heard it said, if we give up, where well, you can't have peace that surpasses understanding unless you give up your right to understand. So, yeah. <laughs> passes understanding not understanding yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah yeah and then i think i think other times there's like um we're we're kind of you know we're, we're maybe like praying like god do this or god do that or, um we're waiting for a change but god is like i'm waiting for you to to make the <laughs> actions you know so again there's that that push pull and I found myself in, in both spots. So I think it's, it's using your intuition, the Holy spirit. What season am I in? Am I in a season of surrendering and, um, uh, minimalizing and like doing less action or being less busy? Or am I in a season of, uh, of take action and, um, you know, uh, take, take the power that God's given me that he's helping me with. So, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a dance. It's a figuring it out. Um, Oh, I also wanted to say that, um, you know, all this stuff we're talking about individually, uh, becoming who we are in the internal thing. It's also an external thing. And it's also a collective thing that, um, you know, I've talked about, I think our society or even the whole world is going through. Um, and we are kind of in the dark night of the soul, you could say. Um, and many people just see a lot of darkness, but I think those of us who have gone through our own, 
uh, internal uh, individual awakening, um, we see in the light at the end of the tunnel on the other side. And so we also see that in the external, in the collective. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we have hope and that's part of the, the podcast is figuring out where that, where the spirit is leading us collectively and how to live that out. And um, I don't know the answers or many answers at all, but, uh, but it, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, I enjoy um, looking at, seeing it from that view and, trying to figure things out (laughs) yeah totally um yeah when we start to see that it is a a collective um, unfolding like a gradual awakening uh we do have more grace for others too i think you know um especially you know those of us who are doing the you know the inner work in the sense of the shadow work and and begin Mm -hmm. to kind of become aware Mm -hmm. of our own um paradox um, our own discrepancies, uh, the unfavorable characteristics that we see so clearly in ourselves, we, we have more grace for others and we realize that there really are no others. <laughs> you know, we are one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, I do. I see it as a gradual unfolding both collectively and individually and that uh, the elevated consciousness uh, once this elevated consciousness permeates all of humanity, uh, we'll experience, you know, a new heaven and a new earth. I think that's mm-hmm. what, you know, uh, the culmination of scripture is is pointing toward, uh, where mm-hmm. everything just comes into balance. There'll be no more war or oppression or corrupt systems, um, not because it's impossible, but because the world will have transcended the dualistic thinking that make mm-hmm. war and oppression and, and all of those evils a, you know, a reality. Um, but yeah, everything in its proper relationship flowing as it is intended without resistance. Um, yeah, with, you know, like Isaiah envisioned it, the lion lays mm-hmm. down with the lamb and, you know, it's that tension of opposites throughout what he's saying. You know, it's, it's not that the darkness is eradicated. It's that everything is, is in balance, uh, and mm-hmm. whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, well, I'm gone through, uh, all my notes. <laughs> uh, we covered a lot of a lot of things and a lot of um, a lot of great great things. Is there is there anything else that that you have that you haven't shared yet? <laughs> no, I think I think like you said, we pretty much covered it all. We, we said a lot in a very short amount yeah. of time, so it's probably mm-hmm. a lot for people to kind of digest. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, um, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Yeah, I have as well. I really enjoyed it and appreciate um, all of your wisdom and, and your friendship. So glad we're on the, we're on the journey together and uh, all, the, all the listeners are, we're, we're all there. We're all together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same here. I, um, I mean, I believe that, uh, that the universe sends us who we need when we need it, you know, and mm. the right people and the, the right circumstances. And um, it's definitely a privilege to know you and to get to have these discussions with you. And I appreciate you having me mm. on for a second time. And yes. um, yeah, yes. I look forward to to having more chats about this kind of stuff. Yes, me too. All right, awesome. Well, I'll see y'all guys uh, next time. <laughs>